What do you do when you feel called to start a ministry, but your pastor tells you not to? He says you're not ready, you need to be under his authority, and your ministry must complete, not compete, with the local church. Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. And what I just described happened to Christy Boulware, author of Nervous Breakthrough, Finding Freedom from Fear and Anxiety in a World that Feeds It. For a decade, Christy's biggest nemesis was a severe anxiety and panic disorder. But once she got well, she found she had another obstacle, her own pastor. This threw Christy into a tailspin and caused her to question her own calling. But over time, she and her husband realized that they were being spiritually abused. They also realized that the church where Christy had first found Jesus and gotten saved was also very cult-like and harmful. In this second part of my discussion with Christy, she tells her story of experiencing church hurt. And I believe there's so many great lessons in this story about how to handle spiritual abuse and its aftermath. So I'm really looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. But first... I'd like to thank our sponsors, Judson University and Marquardt of Barrington. If you're looking for a top-ranked Christian university providing a caring community and an excellent college experience, Judson University is for you. Judson is located on 90 acres just 40 miles west of Chicago in Elgin, Illinois. The school offers more than 60 majors, great leadership opportunities, and strong financial aid. Plus, you can take classes online as well as in person. Judson University is shaping lives that shape the world. For more information, just go to judsonu.edu. Also, if you're looking for a quality new or used car, I highly recommend my friends at Marcord of Barrington. Marcord is a Buick GMC dealership where you can expect honesty, integrity, and transparency. That's because the owners there, Dan and Kurt Marcord, are men of integrity. To check them out, just go to buyacar123.com. We now resume my conversation with Christy Boulware, author of Nervous Breakthrough, Finding Freedom from Fear and Anxiety in a World that Feeds It. I know that once you got to a place of feeling healthy and God had brought you through this, you had an excitement to share that with others. And that's really how God works. The comfort that he's given us, he wants us to give others. And so I think that's such a beautiful desire. But as you began to step out in this, and this is so sad, you would hope that your pastor would be the person most excited about that and getting behind it and blessing it. And I hate to say this, but I think especially when it's women stepping out in ministry, very often they don't find their pastor blessing it. And that was your situation. Tell us that story when your pastor really wasn't thrilled. Yeah, I actually had a warning sign that I missed. So I was about 18 months into my recovery journey and tapped into this local church, doing really well, making friends. Things were going great. I started sharing my testimony. They had given me an opportunity to share my testimony. I was blogging and doing a little bit of speaking about it. And so this was around June of 2015. So the breakdown happens in 2011 and June of 2015. I just was starting to feel this prompting to start a support group for other women that were struggling with the same thing that I struggled with. And I asked my friend who just, my very good friend who actually was the pastor's wife for advice about this feeling that I was having, didn't know what to do with it. And she just said, let me talk to my husband, which was our pastor. And she comes back to me and she said that 
here's what he said. He said, Christy, you need to aim longer before you fire. And I just paused and she, she just said, basically what he's trying to say is you're not ready to start a ministry, Christy. And I got off of that phone call just completely crushed and so confused too. And I took this hunting analogy to my husband because he's a big hunter too. And I said, Troy, this is what she said to me. This is what pastor said to me. What do you think? What do you think I should do? And it was this moment. I'll just never forget it. Troy just boldly and confidently said, no, if you aim too long, you'll miss. It's time to start this ministry. And I was like, all right, let's do it then. Let's start it. So here's what's so crazy, Julie. Fearless Women was what it was called before we've now rebranded as Fearless Unite. But it started in a library Mm. with 38 women in attendance. And it grew rapidly. And churches started to hear about it. And other churches started partnering with us. And before we knew it, we were doing these monthly meetings where two or 300 women were showing up at it. And by the end of 2015, We were a legal 501c3 and we became a nonprofit organization. So part of the programming that we offered was these local community events that were completely free, the support groups that kind of grew outgrew the support group Mm. mentality because so many people were coming to it. So we started putting together programming called impact groups. Now what these were, they were fear and anxiety Bible video studies that were written and produced by myself, but also our fearless team. So then it was interesting. I got called into the pastor's office. Uh, Yeah, I got called into the pastor's office. I'm feeling anxiety right now. I've experienced this. Okay, yes. What smoke alarms are going after you right now? So I got called into the pastor's office. This was early 2017. And my husband was with me for this meeting. And we had these like kind of three major big ideas that he was explaining to us in the meeting. And the first was God's work must be done God's way. And he used second Samuel six, the Ark of the covenant. And as you recall in that story, use I think is how you say his name. He died for touching the Ark. And we began to get this underlying feeling that he was saying, you're messing with God's way by not doing it the way that we want you, like I want you to do it. And so he didn't come out and say, you're going to die. But there were these implications of of using that scripture to, to make us understand that God's work must be done God's way. Now, the next big idea that he gave us was parachurch ministry, which is what Fearless Woman was. A parachurch ministry is not in the Bible. So he just told us parachurch ministry is not in the Bible. So he then said, we'll support parachurch ministry if... You're doing something that we don't do or can't do, and it was built under biblical government. And then this big idea was said, Christy, don't compete with the church, complete the church. And I was super confused after that point. And then we got to one of the last, there was lots of points, but these were the three main ideas that really hit my husband and I. The last one was God works through authority. And so we use John 10, 1, 3, but then also verse 7. And I'm just going to read it to you. It says, then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And then he gave us two points after that. He said, God gives the senior pastor, he said, senior pastor, a flock. And then the second one is the door in and out is through the pastor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Needless to say, my husband and I had a lot 
to think about, a lot to pray through. And truthfully, Julie, I've left that meeting feeling so confused and conflicted, controlled. I also felt like we were doing something wrong. I felt like we were being disobedient to, to his authority. And it was incredibly difficult to process through that. Let me pause you there because there, there's so much to unpack in what you just said. One, going back to you not being ready. Almost in a way, and I'm guessing being ready would be the pastor telling you're ready, which would put him in control of when you're ready. But it also, and I, this might be a strong word to call it a curse, but it's almost like saying you're, it's going at you as a person. It, it reminds me of, I, I remember when I was in my late 20s wanting to step out in a ministry, and I had a pastor look at me and say, Julie, you're not a visionary leader. And I remember at the time just being like so puzzled by that because I'd already started like two different ministries at this point. And I'm like, how am I not a visionary leader? And he's like, well, I can't go into detail. Like I could give you the book and I could go through all the points, but you're just not. And I was just like, and I remember just coming back home and it was my husband who looked at me and said, that's insane. Of course you're a visionary leader. Like you've started all these things. Like how could you do that if you're not a visionary leader? I mean, I don't know what they mean by that, but don't receive that, Julie. And I'm like, Okay. Thank you, Lord, for our amazing <laughs> I husbands. Know. I know. And and what's sad, too, is that as women, I think our fallen condition is that we tend to be bent towards men, that we don't look straight up into the Father's eyes, which is what we really do need to do. And it's mm-hmm. wonderful when you can have a man bless you like we had our husbands bless us. But often the men won't. And sometimes mm-hmm. we need to just be able to look directly. And we do need to be able to look into the Father's eyes and say, "What are you? who have you made me? And what are you calling me to do? And our identity has to come directly from Jesus, because otherwise we will be paralyzed and we won't be able to move out in what he's calling us to do. I think it's important. You better to, preach, Julie. Yeah. I think it's important to name those things, right? Because we do. And as women, I hate to say it, but it comes so often because we're a threat to somebody in spiritual authority, sees us as a threat. And I don't know what it is about strong women, but we just we just make these men go crazy. They do. They just, we, they get so threatened. And that's what I hear in your story. But then the authority and control using scripture the way that he did, and to say, Jesus doesn't say that the pastor is the gate. Jesus says, I'm the gate, right? They enter and I know my sheep and they hear my voice and they recognize my voice because they're mine. And he's put himself, what he did in that conversation is put himself in as Jesus, which is frightening, but that is what so often happens. And so I know there's people listening right now that are probably, you know, there's bells going off because they've had this happen, but it's devastating to us in the moment. It is so confusing because we're hearing the confusion is not because, oh, what our pastor is saying, the spiritual authority is saying is true, but because we've heard something from our father, our father has called us and has commissioned us to do something, and yet we have these earthly voices that should be, you know, blessing that, and instead saying, no, that you can't be getting that right. And so it, it puts us into a tailspin. So how did you work through this? Lots and lots of prayer. But I think one of the biggest things was we asked for his notes. We said, can you please hmm. put in writing what you taught us that day, because we're very confused and we would like to study it out ourselves. Can you put the scriptures down? Can you put the notes down? So we received the notes that he taught us that day. 
and we felt led to go seek wise counsel. Now, what's important about this wise counsel, and if anybody's listening, I, it was outside of our local church. We sought counsel outside of our local church. And the beautiful thing is the Lord had blessed us with so many partnerships of other churches with what Fearless was doing at the time that it was very easy for me to find a neighboring community of an elder, of a lead pastor that I could have a sit down talk with. So I sent the notes over to this pastor, my husband and I, and this pastor and his wife, we sat down over a nice lunch. And I'll never forget it, Julie. He just very boldly and bluntly said, Christy, we reviewed your pastor's notes and we think you're in a cult. And we think that he is using scripture to manipulate and to control you. And I remember even the pastor's wife that day was like, Oh, no, no, we could say this a little nicer kind of thing. And we don't, we're not trying to hurt your feelings. And he's like, no, I don't know how else to say this. I don't know how much easier, like how to say this. And I remember us leaving that going, no, this can't Mm -hmm. be true. We love our pastor. Like we believe in him. Like, just know, like, ah, this can't be true. So then we had to just really wrestle with that. Boy, I love what you did. It reminds me of the Bereans, right? Who even the apostle Paul They took what he was teaching them. They searched the scriptures to see if what he told them was true. And Mm -hmm. I think so often people that are in hyper-controlling churches or cultic churches, which as I think over the past decade, the definition of cult has changed, where it used to be it has to have some sort of heretical doctrine at the core of it. And I think people are realizing, no, you can have an orthodox, very biblically orthodox church that can still be cultic because of the control, and because of the place of the pastor, and because of these things. Thank God that you were able to find someone who was able to discern that. But wow, that's when you've been, how long have you been at the church at that point? So since 2007, that's when I raised my hand and accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So now what, we're at 2017 when that conversation took place? Yeah. Wow. So you've been there a decade, Mm -hmm. and you hear this And this is your community. So how did you process it? We still believe the best in our pastor. And we asked for one more in-person sit-down meeting with him. And so we did. And it was my husband and I and his wife. And we sat down. And we wanted to take a humble approach. Because what if we were wrong, Julie? Mm -hmm. We hadn't been to seminary. We didn't have all this extra knowledge. you know. So it's like, gosh, what if we were wrong? And we wanted to believe the best in him. But here's what's interesting. My husband, we're talking about our strong husbands. He prayed this very simple prayer as we walked in. And we were holding hands together. And he said... Lord, show us what we need to see. That was it. Just show us what we need to see. And so our first topic of discussion when we sat down was that my pastor wanted to go over the biblical government that our parachurch ministry had. And he asked, do we have a lead pastor on our board? And we were genuinely curious. It was like, no pastor. I mean, we we don't have a lead pastor on our board of directors, but we have a pastor. And we're curious, like, why does it matter if it's a lead pastor? And he started to use this analogy that lead pastors know how to bench press more. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. Could bench press more. And so, of course, we were dismayed and we we're just, but again, we have so much respect for this man and love that we were just still trying to process it all out. And again, 
Remember, since parachurch ministry is not in the Bible, the only way you would support it would be under biblical government doing things that the church wasn't doing and if I wasn't competing with the church. So again, he was trying to make a case for the biblical government, which just led us into that next area of concern was how he didn't feel like it was right that we were producing and leading out small groups, which is what I called impact groups, and that was competing with the church. And so I remembered Chris, Christine Kane had just spoke at our church, and she does propel groups. And propel groups were exactly like what my, our impact groups were. We were creating biblical small group material that were helping people overcome fear and anxiety. It was a meeting a need in the church because fear and anxiety is an epidemic right now. And there were so many people that would love to be in a Bible study about fear and anxiety. And we were producing these and putting these out. So I asked him, I said, well, we just had Christine Kane here and she does propel groups and we're okay with that. And Dave Ramsey, he does financial peace groups. And I said, I'm just trying to do something similar to this and not compete with the church, but just meet a need in the church to disciple to hurting women that are struggling with the same thing. And interesting that you had brought up that scripture in Corinthians, comfort, comfort others with the same comfort God has given you. That was the key verse for our impacts, it, mm. impact groups. It was God had comforted me. I was going to turn right back around and comfort others. Julie, he wasn't really happy with my line of questioning and responses at that point. And the conversation started to go a little bit south and we wanted to keep it holy. And I just said to him, I said, Pastor, I can tell that we're not going to agree on this topic here. So can we just agree to disagree here or is this the end of the road for us? And I'll never forget this, Julie. He looked right in my husband and I and he just said, this is the end of the road for you. You will not be supported if you continue. And just like that, the place that I found Jesus by the man who led me to Christ, we were no longer welcomed in our church anymore. And I left that meeting completely devastated with my heart in a million pieces. And my husband, on the other hand, just had a smile on his face. And he said, thank you, God, for showing us what we need to see. Wow. I haven't told this story yet, and I will just allude to it now because I haven't fully felt released to tell it, but I have friends who were told that if they persisted in something they were doing, they could no longer take communion within a church. And I thank God that they listened to the voice of God and not the pastor at that point who was not speaking the words of God. And I'm just struck, that whole senior pastor thing, I, there's no biblical basis for that. And where is the priesthood of all believers? I, yeah, that is such a control move, but so glad that you were able to discern rightly what was going on. But wow, I, I can only imagine the devastation you must have felt. I mean, there's one thing to know in your head, God's calling me to do this. I'm sure there had to have still been a, some degree of doubt, because that's just how we work as human beings. When you have a spiritual authority say something like that to you, it's just hard. It's hard to take, and it messes with you inside. Even if in your head you say, that was BS. I know it's somewhere deep down. You know what you're doing right. You have that conviction, but at the same time, you, you've got that kind of messing with you. I guess you could apply the same thing you were talking about, the anxiety snowballing thoughts where you have to take this thought captive now and these doubts captive. But walk me through the process coming out of that emotionally, spiritually, that's got to take to some degree your legs out from under you. How did, or did it? Maybe you were just like 
so confirmed that you just shot right out of the gate. I don't know. I'm. Oh, heck no. <laughs> maybe I'm projecting, but yeah. How did you deal with it? My husband was very strong. He was so grateful. And for me, this is where I found the Lord. This is where all my dearest friends were. I lost all kinds of friends. I felt so lonely, depressed, incredibly anxious. You're right. The self-doubt raged in my mind. What if I'm wrong? What if I'm being disobedient? What if I'm rebellious? What if I am in direct contradiction of God's word? I want to honor God's word. So it was like this mind game of questioning my calling, who I am, what I should be doing. I mean, it was excruciating. But I do, I think there's some things that we did right and some things that I think we did wrong. And what we did right was we stood up for ourselves. We stood up for ourselves and we did not allow ourselves to be manipulated and controlled. And we refused to slander and gossip, even though all of that was being done for us, that Facebook and the things that were being said and Mm. the behind the scene conversations that would later come back to us. I was just floored by the amount of just deception and just straight up slander and things about our character that just were not true. Another thing we did right is we took a while before we jumped into a new church home. And when we did feel called to move on to a new church home, we did sit down with the leadership of that church and asked, what are your thoughts on parachurch ministry? Because we didn't want to get ourselves. We found that they were with open arms, excited to take in this parachurch ministry. We're championing, welcoming, cheering it on in a very healthy way. So that was good. Another thing is we took some time before we started serving. We really needed healing and we didn't just jump right into serving again. Some things we did wrong, Julie, The situation felt like a divorce. Now, I've not walked through a divorce, but I've walked through many dear friends that have had to walk through a divorce, and it's so incredibly painful. I mean, the place that I fell in love with Jesus Christ is the place that wounded me, that made me second guess and question everything that I'm doing and feel called to do. And so that just created an enormous amount of anxiety in me. And again, losing all these friends. And I became obsessed, literally obsessed with trying to figure out why God allowed this to happen. And I wasted too much time being distracted by that. And I was worried about it constantly. I think something else that we did wrong is I didn't get counseling soon enough. I just didn't. And I'm in counseling now, but I'm learning that even so long ago, this is 2017, that I am still disentangling myself from bad theology. And that was imposed on me for years and years, even in my new church, a healthy church where I'm my counselors. I need you to take church off of an idol here, Christy. And I need you to ask yourself, are you codependent on your pastor's covering right now? And, and so it's, ah, all these really big ideas that I'm working through myself right now that are going all the way back to 2017. And I wish I would have gotten into counseling sooner because it's affected the way I view church. It's affected the way I view pastors. It's affected the way I view church people and community. And This last one might sound a little funny, but I forgave too fast. And here's what I mean by this. When I was in therapy, my my therapist said to me, Christy, you cannot forgive what you haven't acknowledged. And I thought, oh. So then she gives me this worksheet where I have this five-page worksheet and I have to work through the four stages of forgiveness. And part of it is writing down 
why you were hurt. And when they said X, Y, Z to you, how did that make you feel? And when this person betrayed you through, and it was like a ripple effect because it wasn't just my pastor I needed to forgive. It was the pastor's wife. And then it was the friends that betrayed me. And it was like this ripple effect of forgiveness that needed to be put out. But I needed to walk through the stages of forgiveness first to truly forgive. I think I was just like, oh yeah, I forgive them. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what Christians do. You forgive. But really deep down, I was still bitter. I was still hurt. I was still wounded and had not worked through that forgiveness properly. What a wise counselor you had. Oh, amazing. Yeah, that's wonderful. And that is a gift. And I'm curious because you said this covering. Did you have the umbrellas of authority that were like the Gothard thing going on or something similar? I'm why I'm watching shiny happy people right now too. <laughs> and I'm just like, I yeah, it's just my gosh, it's giving me anxiety. <sighs> I was never shown like a picture of umbrella or covering, but this idea of spiritual authority that you had to run to or be o- over, like your pastor was the person that you needed to check in with was absolutely underwoven in all of it, for sure. Wow. Wow. I'm very grateful I did not grow up in that. I grew up in a very conservative Christian church, but it was not fundamentalist. And my mother was a very strong spiritual force, and she was our superintendent of Sunday schools in in the church I grew up in. And I had a pastor who gloriously did not feel threatened by my mother and just was able to bless her. Now, they moved when I was in college to from Pennsylvania to Kentucky. And then they were in, then that stopped, and she couldn't really minister after that. And that was really sad for me to watch. But I have said many times, I'm so grateful for that heritage that I was given, because when I saw spiritual abuse happening, when I began to experience it, yes, there was self-doubt, there was all of that, but I also knew, it's like what they say with dollar bills, if you're trying to figure out a counterfeit, you look at the real, you study the real, and I grew up in the real. And I'm so blessed. I know. I'm so blessed by it. I thank God for it because I see so much of the non-real right now in the work that I do that I'm just, I'm so grateful that I know the real exists. I love the church. I couldn't stay in this work if I didn't love the church because I've seen how beautiful it can be. And I've seen how beautifully it raises the next generation within it. But we're just really gotten afoul of it because of, and sadly, a lot of it is due to these pastors who are into building their kingdom and not the kingdom of God and controlling. And you cannot control what God is doing. It is completely outside of your control. The the Holy Spirit, you don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going, but you better get on His agenda because if you're trying to steer yours, you are going to just shipwreck everything. And we're seeing that happen all over the church right now. And I know... and we're running out of time, so I have to get to <laughs> our last question. But I, we could talk so long on this. But yes. I know right now there are people listening who have had all of the same things that you're talking about happen to them, maybe, and then some. And the, the spiritual abuse and the confusion and the pain and all of that, they're in the midst of this. And that's what, with so much of the interviews, so many of the interviews I do, it's that abuse that they've experienced, sadly, in the church that is causing so much of their anxiety and their trauma. So would you just speak to that person who right now is feeling really stuck in the midst of the aftermath of this kind of church hurt situation? I think understanding that you can be understood. I think that's so important. And 
that church hurt is so excruciating. I think sometimes we sweep it under the rug, like it's just not that big of a deal or it doesn't hurt that bad. Or, I mean, it's truly one of the deepest pains I have ever walked through, even going through suicidal thoughts and a nervous breakdown. It was so painful. So I I think I just want to tell you, I get you. I understand you if you're on the other line listening. Gosh, I'm so sorry for the pain that you've experienced. And I think I just have three little pieces of advice. The first one would be don't stay in an abusive situation. Please go seek wise counsel outside of your church community and ask God, pray, get, ask him to give you wisdom and discernment because, oh my goodness, he will. Like you said, with the dollars, I didn't grow up where I knew the real. So I couldn't tell there was a counterfeit. And that's why it was making it so difficult. But God was so faithful to provide the people at the right places at the right time, because my heart was bent towards truth. I wanted to know the truth. And he gave me the truth. And do not please man, Mm. please God. That's what we're here for. Please God first above all else. And then get help for the hurt. I wish I would have gotten help sooner. I love Julie that you're doing the restory. I think your conferences, what you're doing with that is just so beautiful. So go to one of our conferences, (laughs) go get into therapy, get help. And then this last one is probably the most difficult for me to say, but it's just remember that God still uses imperfect people. And sometimes that just doesn't make sense. And here's a little story. I was recently interviewing someone for a marketing position that's available in our organization. And I, one of our interview questions was just tell me how you found the Lord. And she tells me the story about how she accepted Jesus as our Lord and savior in this most beautiful, glorious way and how God was working in her life. And guess what? It's through the same man that hurt me and the same church that we were asked to leave. And I just thought, oh my gosh. And I was so conflicted in my flesh in that moment. And the Lord led me to Philippians 1, 15 through 18. And it's when Paul's talking about, okay, look, some people are going to preach out of envy and rivalry, and some are going to do it out of goodwill. And then it goes down in verse 18. It says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I will rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. What I'm not saying is you shouldn't address church hurt or you shouldn't address control or manipulation. Like absolutely you should do it, but do it in a Christ honoring way. But remember that God's still using imperfect people to reach, reach people for his glory. Yeah. And then that's a tough one, but it is true. I've had a number of people process, I came to the Lord through this abusive person. I came to the Lord through somebody who I don't even know as a believer at this point. Yeah. And does that mean that you didn't truly come to the Lord? No, that doesn't mean that. The Lord has met you and praise God that he can use a donkey so he can use a bad pastor. Christy, thank you so much. And thank you for mentioning Restore. Again, that's coming up October 13th and 14th at Judson University. And early bird tickets are still available for Restore. But it is a wonderful two-day conference where so many other survivors come together and find healing, but not just survivors. And I'm really encouraging. I was excited that our last Restore we had a number of pastors come. We had a number of seminarians come. And it does grieve me that I find so many pastors, like if you do a conference on how to grow your church big and how to be successful, man, they will flock. But to come and hear from survivors, to come and hear about how to handle 
church hurt or how to respond when somebody comes to you and says they've been sexually abused, to find out those things, how to really shepherd and care for your sheep. Often pastors aren't very interested in that because that doesn't bring in the dollars and the people and the noses and all those things. So I really encourage you, if you're listening and you're in a position of spiritual leadership at a church or a parachurch, really encourage you to consider coming to Restore. And those of you who are hurting, wonderful place to find healing. Again, it's Restore2023.com, Restore2023.com. You can find out more about that. But Christy, thank you so much. This was just such a great discussion, and I so enjoyed your book, but even more so uh, being able to talk with you. So thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. And if you've appreciated this podcast, would you please consider supporting the work we do at The Roy's Report? As I've said before, we don't have any big donors or advertising. We simply have you, the people who care about telling other survivors' stories, exposing wrongdoing, bringing healing, and restoring the church. Also, this month, when you give a gift of $30 or more, we'll send you a copy of Christie's book, Nervous Breakthrough. It's such a great resource, and I'm so excited to make it available to you. To donate and get a copy of Nervous Breakthrough, just go to julieroyce, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com slash donate. That's julieroyce, dot com slash donate. Also, just a quick reminder to subscribe to The Roy's Report on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. That way, you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, I'd really appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word about the podcast by leaving a review. And then please share the podcast on social media so more people can hear about this great content. Again, thanks so much for joining me today. Hope you were blessed and encouraged.